Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, guys. Before we start this episode of Bristopia, I just wanted to give a cheeky plug at the top for a live show we're doing in December. That's right. I'm taking the podcast to the stage. I know what you're thinking. Good God, Andy, how did you possibly decide between all those West End theatres that wanted to put on this amazing and hilarious show? Did you go for St. Martin's, Victoria Palace, or about the Dominion? Or did you keep it real and local and just tread the boards at Bristol's Old Vic? Well, what I'd say to that is what an incredibly insightful question, so thanks for asking it. However, the answer is none of the above. No, we're doing it at Bristol's very own Cube Cinema. Okay, so what do you need to know? It's on the 11th of December 2015, it starts at 8pm and it will feature some incredible special guests from familiar podcast regulars like Bob Wildlife to new folk like Bristol's top poet Richard Biscuit. Even better, our own American intern exchange student Justin Crockler is booked to make an appearance. It's going to be something of a review of Bristol's 2015. It'll be a bit like Screen Wipe, but weirder. It will cost just £5 for a ticket in advance and you can pick them up right now from Bristol Ticket Shop in store or online at bristolticketshop.co.uk just search for bristopia but we'll put the full link in the show notes anyhow so there we go join us at the cube on the 11th of december and watch how incredibly well a podcast transfers to the stage could go either way local interest city living pressure points totter down parking crisis Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or happy midday, depending on when you are listening. I am your host, Andy Price, and this is Bristopia. On today's show, we're celebrating. What are we celebrating? Everything. What's not to celebrate? For a start, Christmas. Now, I know it's only November, but what we're really celebrating is the opening of Bristol's German market, which happened at the start of this month. And that's not really about Christmas at all. It's all about beer, Glühwein, uh, I think that's correct pronunciation. And spicy sausages. Then, uh, obviously, snow globes um, and candles. And obviously, licorice. And what else have they got? Dream catchers? Probably dream catchers. Anyway, we'll be talking to a very special Christmas guest later on, so stay tuned. Then later, we've got American intern exchange student Justin Crockler presenting his latest documentary about Bristol. He tells me this one is about social responsibility. Gloriously unspecific. I'm sure it'll be very straightforward. All right, let's get started with what's been happening in Bristopia since the last episode. For three days in November, the city centre played host to The Rooms, a series of interactive installations laid out through the old fire station and the old magistrate's court. The rooms have been subtitled A Playground for New Ideas and we'll see installations in all shapes and sizes across the playground. However, the event was disrupted when some of the smaller ideas were intimidated by the bigger ideas hogging all the swings and slides. Bristol's first all-female weaving mill is opened, reported the Bristol Post this month, marking the return of a cloth weaving mill to the city. 
However, unwilling to subscribe to modern computer-led weaving machines, the mill eventually sourced an authentic loom from the 1980s. However, the plan was abandoned when operators found it was incapable of weaving anything that wasn't a shell suit, parachute shirt, or clothing that could be at one time be found in the wardrobe of Brooke Shields. The loom was thrown out altogether after it began spitting out thread angrily at passers-by that hadn't popped their collar. A pan of oil in a student flat led to a major fire in Bristol city centre last month. I guess things really have changed since I was at university. I never needed oil to make crisp sandwiches or pot noodles. I mean, unless it was a special occasion, obviously. Hey, maybe it was someone's birthday. Huh. Happy birthday. I'm sorry it was ruined by fire. Bristol's warm-up scheme has gone bust. The programme to improve residents' homes using a grant of £7.3 million has gone into administration. It prompted Mayor George Ferguson to promise those that have put deposits down already that they will get their money back. Of course, this isn't the first time George Ferguson has reiterated people's regular legal rights. He also promised that those with jobs would be paid at the end of the month, and under no circumstances would residents not assaulting others in the street receive jail time. The Central Library has removed the books from the two bottom floors to make room for an expansion of a local primary school. This unsustainable influx of children has affected other areas of the city too, in which we've seen ancient artefacts in the City Museum's Egyptian exhibition burned to make room for a sand pit. While the art gallery has seen major works thrown unceremoniously into the River Severn to make space for a class of five-year-olds to make macaroni art of their pet. A man in Patchway is trying to set a new world record to iron continuously for 100 hours because sometimes you've just got to embrace your inner headness and just go crazy for a few days. He did hope to raise £2,500 for Bristol charity Frank Water, though I reckon there are more fun ways to do this. For example, buying one bottle of water per day for the next six years and ten months. Or, like, a marathon. Stokescroft is set for a facelift after plans to redevelop the long derelict carriage works in Westmoreland House were finally approved. New plans will see the building of an open courtyard, while there will be an increase in affordable housing to 10%. Said a local councillor that voted in favour of the plans, the remaining 90% of houses will be priced at billion pounds because, well, fuck people, I hate them and they suck. I mean, it's pretty ballsy to actively say that the majority of these new houses will be out of reach for most people. In fact, it's probably only a few steps away from just putting up a massive banner at the end of the M32 saying, hey Russian oligarchs, why not buy a house you won't live in in Bristol too? Next right. Of course, Bristol couldn't escape the 5p plastic bag charge, meaning more and more people are now reusing bags. Of course, now I have to shove something else in the cupboard under the sink. Currently, I'm torn between old Amazon packaging, plastic water bottles, or guns. Actually, I think I'll just leave them under the bed. <laughs> Bristol's German Christmas market opened up in Broadmead on the 6th of November, ushering in the season of glass deposits and Glühwein to the city. Now, considering we never even got round to acknowledging the presence of Easter or Halloween on this podcast, I thought I'd get in early on the whole Christmas thing. So I got our guest bookers on the case to get someone extra special in to celebrate the opening of the market. That's right, guys. I've got his name right here. It's Santa Claus. Oh, no, wait. Sorry. Uh, I read the memo wrong. It's Klaus. Just Klaus. Okay, it says here he works behind one of the bars at the Christmas market. Please welcome Klaus to the show. 
Which bar? I usually just go to the least busy one. What you have there, Andy, is a story set in an imaginary world. All the bars are the busiest. It is what bars are. It is what bars do. All right, well, let's get on with the interview. I put together some great, great questions to really get us in the mood for Christmas. What are the reindeers like? They have no reindeer. Right, yes. I suppose these questions were for when I thought we had Santa coming in. Can't you just make up some new questions that are relevant to me? What, improvise? Yeah. I can try. Okay. Um, would you like to have reindeers at the market? If we had reindeers, they would probably eat better than any of those working behind the bar. Ah, so it's not a very well-paid gig. You know those deposits that say put on the glasses at the bar? Yeah, three quid. What the hell's that all about? Yes, well, we only get paid with that money when people forget to bring their glasses back. Oh, I mean, I never forget. And that is why I hate people like you. Okay, have you ever opened more than one advent calendar door on one day? Nine. Do you think people who do so should be punished? And if so, how severely? How would you even police the system? Well, you could uh, put tiny little robots in them, and when someone opens the calendar door on the wrong day, the robot stabs them in the eye. These are children stabbed in the eye. All right, next question. What's the best verse do you sell in the market? The best verse? Oh yes, okay, now we are talking. There's so many good ones, they're all pretty delicious. What's the worst verse? They're all taste. What, even ones that taste of smoked kippers and racism? Yeah, no, well, we, we do not sell those. Where do they sell those? I don't think they sell them anywhere. So you've checked? Nine! I have not been out there looking for verse made out of smoked kippers and racism. For the same reason I don't look for verse made out of dog teds and butterscotch. A lack of adventure? Have you been out looking for these verse? This is an absurd question. How would you even concentrate racism down into a consumable form? I find processing it into a three-minute conversation on a podcast usually does the trick. Is this what you'd hoped your podcast would be? A racist argument about sausages? No, I hoped it was going to be a conversation with Santa Claus. Just ask me the questions you are going to ask him and I'll see what I can do. What does Mrs. Claus look like naked? Uh, She looks wonderful in the nude. Oh, so you know her? Yes, she's a lovely lady. Santa is, of course, the CEO of all German markets. No, he isn't. Yeah, he is. He runs it out of his second floor apartment in East Berlin. It is surprising few people know this. Uh, He used to have such itchy feet. All through his 20s, he would get the temp jobs for a few months and go off traveling and do it all over again every year. Then one night, I think sometime in December, maybe he was flying over Berlin and thought, you know what, I really think I could settle here. And so he asked Mrs. Claus to marry him and gave up his day job. The day job? Christmas is just once a year, yeah? So you're saying Santa has retired from delivering presents on Christmas Day. But you said he wasn't real at all. Real? Retired? I misunderstood. It was a language buyer. So he just lives happily with Mrs. Claus. Well, until your affair with her, presumably. Yeah. Mrs. Claus wanted an adventure. She wanted to travel. She was like, Klaus, remind me what Bristol was like. And it's been such a long time since I went. And I say, yes, Bristol is still the same, but with less libraries and more parking restrictions. And she came and we walked up and down the portway like seven or eight times. And then we made love in the bear pit under the sign that says we're all going to die of climate change. She was very moved. Italian is the language of love. Germans find it hard, but uh, when we do, we do it like machines. Most of all, I remember soft kisses upon my brow. Just like the mother I never had physically. Okay, well, that's quite the insight. Thank you for coming in. Ladies and gentlemen, Klaus. Sorry, Klaus, I don't know your second name. Klaus. Klaus Claus. Yeah, I am his brother. And the plot thickens.
Okay, we've reached the end of another show. Uh, Prepare yourself for Justin Crockler's documentary. This one, he tells me, is about social responsibility. So that's gloriously um, non-specific. But, you know, he assures me he's got some stuff to say. So, I mean, that's very important for a documentary. Please welcome Justin Crockler. Just, and I'm going to pull this up just a couple of inches. People have jobs. It's a fact of life. Something we were taught at school. That there are lawyers, builders, doctors. Now, that should be a little more comfortable for you. See if you can have a walk around, and then we'll have you on your way. But in Bristol, jobs can be different. We aren't a central financial hub trying to make more money for people that already have enough. We don't have a big tourism industry focused on others, outsiders. Bristol deals in social responsibility, where many of us have jobs that are necessary to a functioning society. Sorry about the needle. I know it's a sharp one. This is Roger. He has one of those jobs. I'm a taker-upper. And what is it exactly that you do? Well, I... And shorten trousers with my needle and thread. You, sir, are an inspiration. And would you like a lollipop for being so brave? You're damn right I do. This week, I spent some time talking to Roger in his tailors on Wine Street. I only meant to go in to get my short, short, shortened, but we ended up talking about what it's like being a small, but very important cog in Bristol's social machine. For Roger, It's shortening trousers. For me, it's telling the truth. Through documentary. Through the people that I meet. This is Bristol's truth. And I'm telling it. So, do you have any big name clients? Actually, I'm the mayor's personal tailor. I make sure he's always got an army of well-hemmed, perfectly-fitting red trousers at his disposal. Oh, wow! As most of us will know, our mayor is a strong proponent of the color of blood, the hue of horror, the shade of my mom's Peugeot 205. 
Some would describe Mr. Ferguson as the enemy of social justice, uh, that he's only out for himself. What do you think? I'd say that's short-sighted, that they're disregarding the entire cycle, each individual's area of social responsibility. What do you mean? So, I ensure the flow of his red trouser, that's mine, but I rely on a chap in Bishopston who crushes thousands of tiny ladybird babies to create the specific pigmentation both desired and demanded by Mr. Ferguson. I thought he was a vegetarian. Well, who told you that? I don't know, I just made it up. Why? I was just trying to be dramatic. Well, don't. And then there's the guy that illegally imports the ladybird herd. That's his responsibility. A group of ladybirds is a herd? Well, I don't know. Probably. Cool. The point is, each step to this cycle contributes to the overall social framework of Bristol. I don't understand. Why does making sure George Ferguson have enough trousers mean that the city is socially enriched? Because that in turn allows Mr. Ferguson to focus on his social responsibility. Which is what? Ensuring nothing happens to the Trident nuclear codes. Okay, I get it. Wait, what? Bristol's mayor was in charge of Britain's controversial nuclear defense. Roger said that he'd found the codes in his pockets. He put them in for dry cleaning after he rode his bike recklessly through the soup aisle at Tesco's. So that's the man in charge of our safety. How did this happen? I have a friend who works in City Hall, so I headed there to get some answers. Hey, Nathan, did you know that George Ferguson has the codes to Triton? Shh! Justin, what the hell are you doing? Keep it down. Quick, follow me. Okay, who the fuck told you about George being in charge of our entire nuclear arsenal? He's Taylor! He found the codes in his pocket! I knew this would happen. I've been trying for six months now to prevent this leaking to the press. But he's just so bloody reckless. He tried to buy an inner tube the other day, and he accidentally gave the shopkeeper the codes instead of a tenner. Oh, man. And then he took his dog for a walk the other day, and when it pooed on the pavement, he used them to scoop it up. That's gross. And then yesterday he got confused, thought it was a Sudoku, he wrote all over them. Luckily, he did it in red pen so we could figure out which was his writing and which were the codes. Huh. What colour were the nuclear codes in? Fluorescent pink. But doesn't David Cameron have the codes? How did George Ferguson end up with them? That... that we don't know. This whole thing had quickly become a figurative ticking time bomb. I felt so much responsibility with what I knew. Do I go to the police? No one would believe me. But I have to find some way to get the truth out. It's what I do. But I mean right now I don't know. It's getting late. I can't think. We'll pick this back up tomorrow. I'm going to make myself a throffy holics and hit the hay. Justin! Justin! What? Oi! Wake up, you raging cattle prod! Who's there? Come on, mate! You know who this is by now, don't you? 
I'm your bloody spirit animal, Rupert Murdoch. What animal are you? What do you think? A kangaroo? Ah, you racist prick. I'd be a bloody lion. Obviously, they're the best. I like their films. All right, but why are you here this time? I know how George got the codes off, Davy boy. He's got something on him. Something big. What's bigger than the pig thing? He barely batted a ball bag at that. What could have made him give up the nuclear codes? Something much worse than diddling Weedy the Pooh's best mate, mate. Giving Piglet the hundred acre wood. It's obvious. Boris Johnson? No. A chinchilla, obviously. Everyone knows that. When you stick your wang in a pig, it's funny. But when you put it in a chinchilla, it's bloody demented. It goes cow, horse, pig, chinchilla. Then goldfish. Imagine that. So what happened? So Georgie told Davy he had a photo of the chinchilla incident. He said his successful implementation of the RPZ deserved more recognition, and he wanted to be in charge of Britain's nuclear war machines. What's Dave going to do? Relations with a dead pig? That was social suicide. Don't think George Osborne hasn't been filling his letterbox with prize gammon since that news broke. But a chinchilla? That's political suicide, mate. So what do I do? you got to tell the world what a reckless bloody maniac he is, and free the people of your city from his tyrannical reign. I do? Yes, mate. Now get all tucking in and back to sleepy Betty boys. You've got a big day tomorrow. I'll give you a kiss on the cheek. Good night. The morning after my latest run-in with the ghost of Rupert Murdoch got me thinking. Should I be the one that brings down George Ferguson? True, putting nuclear weaponry in the hands of a man that rolls out a 20 mile per hour speed limit and then gets caught doing 35 miles per hour like some kind of joyriding Skoda clad 17 year old is madness. But how do we know the seagull thing is true? Because he said it? And does it matter if once I post it to Twitter, it becomes true in the minds of the public? My social responsibility is being compromised, so I went back to talk to Roger. He's the only person I know that knows the real Mr. Ferguson. Ah, Justin, what can I do for you? Those short shorts I shortened for you, not short enough for your short, short legs? I mean, no, but that's not what I'm here for. I have a question to ask you about George Ferguson. When was the last time you saw him? Oh, I've never actually met him. What? I deliver his trouser via carrier pigeon. He carries them to him. Very strong, that bird. Oh, man. What do I do now? I have no idea. I went to see the only person I could think of. My buddy, Nathan. Nathan? Come here. Look. I'm worried about George Ferguson. When was the last time you saw him in City Hall? Well, well, actually, he's never come in. What? He works from home. Oh, God. I went home in a daze. Where is George Ferguson? Why does no one seem to have met him except Rupert Murdoch? You may say, Justin, you've only spoken to three people. That's not really representative of the whole population. But what I'd say to that is I've been up since 10.30 this morning, and I'm due my lunchtime nap. And when I've done that, well... I mean, I do still need to set up Apple Pay on my iPad, but then I'll be all over it.
What? Who's that? It's me, Justin. How'd you get this number? Well, you're in the book. What? That's outrageous. Can't have any old schlanger calling me. Anyway, what can I do for you? I'm... Uh, I, I don't know if George Ferguson is real. Rupert? Of course he's not fucking real! I created him! Ugh. What? Like you created Tinder? Like you were murdered by the NWO for trying to launch a free press? Why should I believe you this time? Show me evidence and I didn't, and I'll show you my 80-year-old gonad. Why look a lot like me. Well, I don't want to see that. Then you better not dig too deep. Look, mate, behind every person is another, more powerful, more dangerous person. Behind David Cameron is George Ferguson. And behind George Ferguson is I, Rupert Bloody Murdoch. Peekaboo! You told me you were the good guy now. Why did you orchestrate this facade about Bristol's mayor to get hold of Britain's nuclear weaponry? Because once the public finds out that someone as ignorant to the needs of everyday people as George Ferguson has the nuclear codes, they'll go bananas. And we can win full public support for dismantling Trident. Remember, I'm Rupert Bloody Murdoch, hero of the free world. And my social responsibility is saving it. And yours. Yours is to help me to bring down the mayor. By lying to people? It's for the greater good. Well, I'm not gonna do it. You what, mate? I'm done following your advice. What? You can't do that, mate. That guy bimbling around pretending to be George Ferguson is just some bloody nut butter I found wandering around the tobacco factory, collecting people's empty glasses. He doesn't live there. He works there. We can't leave a civilian in charge of those codes. It's for the greater good. Look, I will not let this become a city based on lies. If we're going to keep Bristol a socially responsible city, with each of us doing their bit to keep people happy and the wheel turning, then we have to look out for each other. We need to support and respect the everyday responsibilities of the many, not shame and defame the few every time they do something wrong, even if they are a massive bellend. Look, if you want us to make a change, we stop from home, from the heart. I don't want this documentary to be about lies. I want it to inspire people so they can go out there and make their own choices. That's my responsibility. So what if George Ferguson is in charge of the world's fate? His name's not even George. It's Jeffrey. We'll just have to work together to create a better world when no one thinks we need nuclear weapons. I think he was bullied at school. If this means the whole world's at risk thanks to an imaginary figurehead so cartoonish in his approach that he can't possibly be real, then that's going to have to be a risk I'm willing to take. Oh, God help us all. That's it, Rupert. I'm done with you. Goodbye. We're all doomed! Oh my god! What the hell's gonna happen? Nuclear weapons! Sorry guys, that, that was ridiculous. I'm sure we're fine. I'm almost 50% sure we're fine. Alright, thanks Justin for another insightful documentary. <clears throat> that, that was very specific. Okay, well, I guess that's us done for another episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, it means a hell of a lot to me and a little bit to Justin, too, I'm sure. 
Um, come to our live show on the 11th of December. Uh, it's at the Cube. Five pounds. What can go wrong? Bring your friends. Invite your friends. Uh, tickets, Bristol Ticket Shop. Great stuff. All right. Okay. Uh, where's my checklist? Uh, here we go. Uh, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Um, and leave a review on iTunes. Or whatever. Just have a very unfulfilled life, I guess. It's not up to me. Like Justin said, we make our own choices. But, but you know, those would be my recommended ones. Cheers! Close your eyes, go to sleep, try to think of nothing. Sweet dreams.